Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos, 630 Chad. All right, thanks for tuning in tonight. Inside Sports on 630 Chad. Going until 8 o'clock tonight. Morley Scott will have the Eskimos show from 8 to 9. The Eskimos will be back on the practice field tomorrow. They play Saturday Brickfield at Commonwealth Stadium. It'll uh, start at 5. Our coverage will start on 6.30, Chad, at 3.30. Going to bring in Kevin Carius from Global Television in about a minute. Uh, i got to say, it was cool for me to interview Dan Schulman before the break, uh, a guy I really enjoy listening to, call games. Uh, certainly uh, uh, someone I would say I kind of look up to and admire as a, as a broadcaster for sure. He's done, he's done very well for himself. Um, he, he referenced, I, I said, do you have a favorite call and he said well you know not really I have favorite moments he said one that stands out is a NCAA basketball game he did in 2011 Kentucky at Indiana Indiana unranked Kentucky ranked number one in the country and Christian Watford hit the game-winning shot as time expired Jones the call edited out a, a little bit as, as Kevin Carries from Global Television uh, slides in first of all <laughs> I, I got that off YouTube obviously as, as Dan suggested <laughs> and part of the it's about a three minute video and Dick Vitale's the other voice the leg, legendary certainly in his own mind uh, basketball commentator in the United States I mean there were thousands of students rushing the court after that shot I mean Vitale's are we, are we safe are we going to get cr- <laughs> it was just it was sad Absolute bedlam. It's unbelievable. You know, when when you mention uh, Dickie V's name, the one thing that comes to mind for me is that no matter how many years goes on and no matter how many college games he does, it's still like the kids in, in college love him just as much now as they did 30 years ago. And that's a rarity for a broadcaster to transcend time and have all that the viewers and listeners uh, over the course of his or her career where it doesn't matter uh, when you say, oh, yeah, I used to watch that guy or whatever, but he's, not, he's, he's I don't watch him anymore. I don't listen to him anymore. The special ones can go on forever until they quit, and they can have that special relationship with the fan 
uh, no matter what at the end of the career or at the start. And that's Dick Evie right there. Well, and Shulman's another one right now. He's on. He'll be like that for the rest of his career. Totally opposite presentations, though. I mean, yeah. Dickie V, and that's you make a good point about him because he has the type of on-air personality that sometimes can grate on people after a while, and it probably does. But you're right; he still re- re- retains that mm-hmm. that popularity. And and I mean, the thing is with the energy, he always sells it. You heard him in that clip, yeah. right? He always sells it. Dan uh, Dan Schulman, who, who I mentioned, uh, I mean, I wish I could have spent more time with him, but he was he, he was able to. He was kind enough to fit us in this afternoon as he right. was preparing to call tonight's game. And uh, still 2-1 for the Blue Jays, by the way. Bottom of the seventh. Uh, your scoreboard is presented by Crystal Glass. For all your glass needs, call 310 Glass today. He, he's just one of those play-by-play guys I have just always enjoyed. He's so controlled, so measured, and you can also always tell so prepared. And, I mean, sometimes you you got to have a little bit of God-given stuff, too. He's just got a great voice. Well, and you know that he has uh, the love for the Blue Jays. There's no question about that. I mean, for him to be added to the broadcast team this year in a very limited capacity doing, I don't even know how many... I think it's around 50 or something uh, like that, yeah. Yeah, you know, they have a a very good team already uh, with uh, Martinez and Tabler. And then for Martinez and Tabler to go, yeah, we want this guy in. It's going to make our broadcast better. You know, so that's how much he wanted to be a part of the Blue Jays and kind of the direction they're going and um, how, you know, the whole country loves the Jays. So he wanted to be a part of that. Yeah, he, Dan's an interesting case because he is, as as a reference in the interview, he's a Toronto kid. Mm-hmm. He, uh, I know you were on air at the time, but he he went to their first game in '77. He was at the Dave Steve No No in Cleveland in '90. He was at Joe Carter's home run in '93, and he was at Bautista's. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw your tweet. So I mean, he's, he's oh, he was a ten-year-old kid in '77. Right. I think he was ten or ten or eleven, but. Um, I mean, there there are there are cases for sure. Uh, I mean, I guess one of, one of my good friends, Jay Onright, being an example. But Canadian broadcasters usually wind up working in Canada, and they often wind up working in hockey. He's done baseball, and he does college basketball. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many Canadians wind up doing college it's a basketball? For sure, it's a rarity. There's no doubt about that. I mean, you could say all the guys that went to the states to do hockey and things like that, but for for what he's doing, yeah. It, uh, and he's a tremendous broadcaster. There's no question about it. Just a bit of an aside. Have you ever been to an NCAA tournament game? No, I haven't. I, that's no. the, uh, that's one I'd yeah. like to get to. Would be a lot of fun. A <laughs> Final Four weekend kind of thing would be awesome, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. Or well, Even I, at the very beginning is good too. The the the, yeah. the sixteen the first Probably round 64, the, yeah. the upsets and yeah. everybody cheers for the underdog. But I mean, Dan's experience was the the thing is if you went to a, a tournament game everybody would start siding with the underdog. But, I mean, he did a game in Indiana as the underdog right. where there's probably nobody cheering for Kentucky or one guy, and he wouldn't wouldn't show it, <laughs> right? Because you, you might not leave in good condition. Uh, I mean, obviously, you, you share a lot of respect for Dan. Uh, was, is there a, a play-by-play guy, past or present, that, you know, got you interested or you just enjoy listening to or, you know, or watching regardless of the sport or who's playing? Well, I would say when I was growing up, uh, at that time, Vin Scully was working with Joe Garagiola, and they were the best broadcast team in my mind uh, doing baseball. Those two guys were just uh, phenomenal. And there's very few guys that can carry a game by themselves. Uh, Vin Scully is the best. There's no question about it. I hate the Dodgers so much. I just, (laughs) I can't... 
it just unbelievable, like just a hatred for the Dodgers for 40 years. But every time uh, when you're flipping through the channels and a game will come on at uh, 8 or 9 at night, on, you know, and uh, Vince Scully's doing the game, I will just stop and watch the game no matter what. Well, especially now. It's yeah, just last, last year. year. And he doesn't do every game. No, he just does the West Coast games yeah. and the division. And, and I don't even think he no. does the entire game anymore. Uh, no, he does. Does he? Okay, yes, I thought he, he just did the six of the nine innings or something. But okay, I could be wrong. Uh, yeah, no, I think he does. But again, limited schedule, doesn't do any travel games. I think he does a few games in San Francisco because he likes doing the Giants games. Yeah. But uh, limited schedule as far as doing the home and away. I thought he went to yeah, San Diego and maybe some of the Arizona trips. Yeah. But yeah, he doesn't He doesn't. Just go in the far. division. He does the, the division games. and But other than that, he kind of stays pretty close to home base. I still can hear... Now, here's the thing. I was really young, so I can't remember any specific moments, but I can still hear some of Danny Galvin in my head, mm-hmm. you know, if I think about it. He's, yeah. the, he's the first hockey guy I can remember. There was a guy... I should have uh, mentioned uh, listening to Vince Scully and, uh, and Garagiola when they were doing the game. There was an old pitcher for the Atlanta Braves. His name was... I think it was Pasquale Perez. Oh, yeah. So he was about... I think he was about six one and 140 pounds. <laughs> And uh, and uh, and Joe Garagiola says, and uh, here's Pasquale Perez. That guy's so skinny he could have a shower and a shotgun barrel. This <laughs> <laughs> is the classic line. Oh, that that is. Uh, and he just passed away, Joe. Garagiola. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, the I mean, it seemed he was one of the guys. It. it do the ex-baseball players show the most personality when they become color commentators? Uh, I mean, certainly, well, now with Shaq and Barkley, maybe the ex-NBA guys have surpassed them. Yeah, maybe. I think you, you might be right with the NBA guys. But, yeah, there's some great color guys in in, uh, in baseball. I mean, uh, you know, even listening, he doesn't do all, he does both studio work. John Cruck is a guy that yep. really shows his personality. And he did that as a player. Now he's doing it as a broadcaster. But you might be right. Hockey would be a little bit behind as far as... As far as that goes, like uh, we see a little bit of Jeremy Roenick yep. uh, coming out, but he think he was even like compared to what he is as a broadcaster to what he was as a player. Mm-hmm. Think of all the crazy things he was doing on the benches and stuff like that. I don't think he's got to that point as a broadcaster yet. Speaking of John Cruck, I'll never forget shortly after he... And, and if you don't remember, John Cruck was a Philly against the Blue Jays in the 93 World Series. I think he ended up as a with the White Sox, I want to say. And he wanted his last at bat to be a hit. <laughs> and so he, in a game, he got a single and was pinch run for and packed up and left. That yeah. was it. He, they all knew that was going to be it. So then he was on, I think he was on with Letterman a few months after <laughs> that. And Letterman says, so John, what's what's retired life like? <laughs> and Kruk goes, well, you know, I usually get up quite early. And he kind of pauses and Letterman kind of leans in like surprised. Like, oh, really? Like, yeah, I usually get up quite early. And then go sleep on the couch. <laughs> and he was, for people who don't remember John Crock, yeah. he was long hair, a little overweight. Yeah, and chewed tobacco outgoing. and everything. And he was, he has one of the best, uh, you know, 30 seconds at the All-Star game in baseball history when Randy Johnson was throwing. And remember, and there was one that kind of went near his head and he was just like, Let, let's let get out of here. Get me out of here. I'm swinging at anything so I can get back to the bench as possible. I don't care if I even come close to the ball. He was swinging at anything and just walked to the dugout and said, thank you. You know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It is Inside Sports on 630 Chat. Kevin Carrius from Global Television is in studio. We, uh, By the way, Kevin's usually on Wednesday. I should promo this uh, Tuesday today because City Councilor Brian Anderson right. is kind enough to drop in tomorrow. Uh, long, uh, I mean, 
tons of ties to the athletic community. Oh. Former uh, coach, and uh, so we'll talk about that. And obviously, a lot's going on with Rogers Place. So he's mm-hmm. he's been uh, he's been through that as well. Uh, Kevin and I are going to get to the world's longest baseball game. He played in it. We'll talk a little bit about the Labor Day Classic as well. It's Inside Sports on six thirty. Chet. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. Thanks for tuning in tonight. The Yankees edging ahead of the Blue Jays 3-2 in the top of the eighth. We will keep you updated on that one. My name is Reed Wilkins. Kevin Carius from Global Television is in studio. I think Morley Scott's going to join us uh, a little later on. He's warming up for the for the Eskimo show. Inside Sports presented by Action Furnace, home of the fixed right or its free guarantee. You can visit Action Furnace. Okay, Kevin, I gotta I gotta ask you. And I had I had a show last night, so I had Brent Sake on. Over a quarter million dollars, and people right. can, are still donating. 277 innings, approximately 600 runs around there. It was the world's longest baseball game over the weekend. Yeah, it was a heck of a weekend. And anything that the uh, Cross Cancer and Alberta Cancer Federation put on with Brent Sake, uh, they do a remarkable job partnering up. Uh, they know each other so well and what kind of Brent's vision is and what's right for the ACF and what's right uh, for all the people that are uh, battling the disease. And boy, oh boy, yeah, it was great. Great, a lot of fun. And I mean, uh, I, I didn't think it was going to be as hard as it was. Uh, to be honest with you, I'm not as uh, like the pitchers and catchers just got murdered out there. I mean, for for the amount of guys that uh, were behind the plate and on the mound, like those guys were just unreal. Uh, but um, there were two guys that uh, had uh, Achilles surgery back to back today at the University Hospital. Oh so no, back to back ripped Achilles tendons. So they had those surgeries were back like right after another. They scheduled them in today. Another kid broke his foot sliding into second. So there were some more injuries, serious injuries than in the hockey game. But in my, uh, I guess kind of what I'm trying to say is that I didn't respect the preparation of this game as like for the hockey games that we did. So 250 or 240 hours, you know, I would, I would go and play three times a week, play hockey and do some making sure that I was in, you know, as good a shape or as ready broadcasters for can yeah, be. <laughs> as ready as, the, as that game was, you could be for this thing. I never picked up a ball. I never, I never fielded a ground ball or caught a ground ball for 28 years. So you can't go into yeah. it, and, and then so it's no wonder a, a guy's a little sore and stuff like that. But uh, you know, got through it, and there were a lot of a lot of laughs, a lot of yucks on a Saturday. You know, the dreaded hot foot. It's just one of the class, uh, timeless uh, uh, tricks that you can play on a guy in baseball. They got me. The guys got me on the bench, on, uh, and I'm very fortunate. The video is, seems to have gone missing somehow. <laughs> but yesterday we had the global camera out, and uh, Mo Gamelin was shooting, and uh, we kind of had it planned. And James Rose, now he used to work for the Trappers, okay, is uh, he'd lined it all up, and we got uh, Les Henning is his name, and. Uh, we showed the video on Global at uh, 6. We'll show it again tonight at 11. It should be up on uh, Twitter uh, soon as our web guys get going. But it's just a it's just a cla- uh, just totally timeless joke that you can play. And it's kind of funny. You see that smoke coming and, you know, you know, it's just you can smell something and, you know, it's getting a little hot, but you don't know what it is. 
and uh, it was a lot of fun. Well, good for you for playing. And, and, and I want to ask you some questions about the game, and I, and I don't want to overshadow, yeah. obviously, that's, that is for a good cause. But, I mean, it is a unique thing to, to play baseball for that long. Um, did, you, did you wind up playing every position? I mean, did you even pitch or I what? didn't pitch. I did okay. every position but pitch. Uh, but played every other position, just pretty, pretty well like everyone did. Um, that, that's the... Again, when you're not playing ball and you're kind of moving around and stuff like that, it's, you know, you get a good perspective of the game. Like, for instance, we a lot of the guys would play deep or, you know, short and third. Well, that's all fine and dandy, but that's a long throw over there to first. It is when you're you actually... Know, <laughs> you think that, you know, when you watch Josh Donaldson gun a guy out from behind the bag down the line or any other third baseman, you have a special appreciation because no one is even coming close. Uh, you know these guys. There was a few. There was a few, probably three or four really good ball players. Yeah, really good ball players. One guy was really good. Uh, Jeremy uh, Dunlop. He was a really good player. Could catch. And he he actually. I was I was having breakfast one morning. I think it was Sunday morning. He made a catch. He almost made it. I thought he did because I couldn't see. I was in the home home plate lounge. A catch against. Uh, see, he was he was catching at the time. He went back to the backstop and ran into the the steel wall underneath and in to the mesh a little bit. Yeah. And he kind of hurt himself a little bit, but if he would have hung on to that ball, it would have been as good of a catch it you'd see at the major league level. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, baseball, it's it's interesting. I mean, uh, sometimes you can watch it and feel like there's not a lot going on, even a, you know, a good major league mm-hmm. game. I mean, we, it, it always has faced that criticism because of the pace, but the skills are incredibly difficult. And you mentioned that throw from third to first. I mean, basically for an average person like mm-hmm. you you and I I think are both average guys we've bemoaned our golf misery on yeah. this show a few times like yeah that's that's uh, a 120 foot throw a little right. longer depending if you're farther back off the bag so that's a long way so I mean you, you gotta guys like us have to throw it as hard as we can and if we're throwing it as hard as we can we're not throwing it accurately, right? <laughs> so well, that's the whole thing, you know. And you don't have the the accuracy, and you don't have the power. Those are the probably two main things you need. <laughs> and if you don't have it, uh, it's it's a tough long long day. I remember reading an interview with Kurt Schilling probably ten, twelve years ago now, when he was still playing. And then I mean, Kurt was a pretty outspoken guy. He's he got into a little, <laughs> little trouble with that too recently. But um, a great pitcher. The bloody sock, everybody. Mm-hmm. That's his. That's his legend. And I remember in the interview. He he said, you know, I hate when fans when when a guy muffs the ball or strikes out, and a fan says, I could have made that play. Now fans get frustrated, yeah. and you know, we all we've all done that. But he he said the average. He goes eighty percent of the of an of the average fans right. couldn't play catch with a major leaguer. Like yeah. he said, the pace we throw on the ball, even when we're just warming up, or for us soft tossing. He goes, the average guy couldn't even play catch with us there's he's i think he's exaggerating a bit like if it's just regular catch yeah. but i think there's there's something to that too though it, one thing i wanted to mention before we go to break here to read is the, i think one of the best highlights i had was right off the bat because brent sake was the lead off right. hitter and he hit a legitimate triple to the gap and uh came in and he actually slid because he's got a good baseball background slid into third he didn't have to slide and then he was telling me after he goes he said boy oh boy you know, for that to happen, you know, on this stage and the first bat and everything, he says, he goes, my dad must have been looking out for me upstairs, he said, yeah. uh, because, boy, uh, you know, for that to, for the stars to align, 
it was uh, quite something to see, and he was pretty teared up about it for sure. Yeah. Well, he came on with me uh, last night as he was uh, trying to chill out a little bit, and he he was pretty happy with how the the weekend uh, went. And I mentioned Stephen Mandel was uh, in studio yesterday, and obviously he spoke for, very highly of, of Brent and every everything he's done to to try to battle that deadly disease. Uh, did you sleep during the game? How did you get? Well, did you get a little shift yeah, to, to nap? You, you do. You get a few hours. Like if you can get three or four hours in. Or, you know, if you can get about a four-hour sleep in between shifts, that's lots. And, you know, you can kind of move on to to whatever. Like we had, and then some, like I said, those guys got hurt. So there were three of them on our side, on our team. So you can't switch players or sides. So right. now other guys have to pick up shifts. So then you have to stay a little bit longer. But, again... We're not swinging hammers out there, so. <laughs> right. But, but, I mean, and we did talk about this with Brent uh, when he was in two weeks ago. And, and for those who, who missed it, I mean, for this to be, and, and again, the, the main thing is to raise the money to, to battle cancer. But for it to be in the Guinness World of World Record, it has to be a real baseball game. You can't say, oh, we're going to skip this guy in the batting order. Yeah. or. And, well, and, I mean, here's another one. Four umpires at all times. So right, you yeah. think about all the umpires that came out, and thank you very much for the umps and, and the countless volunteers. Four umpires, two scorekeepers going 72 hours straight. So that's just that's just a, a non-starting issue. So you think about those guys that are standing down the third baseline, really making, I think they were on four-hour shifts, the umpires, maybe making one call in four hours at three in the morning. Right. You know, that's, that's you know, and, yeah. kudos to them. And perhaps at times it wasn't the most enthralling oh, baseball. No, of course not. No, of course not. <laughs> Except when you were at bat. No. Did you have a signature moment like Brent's triple? Mm, not really. Well, I, actually, I did. I, there was, like I said, that best player. He was pitching when it was pretty early in the morning, and I we had loaded bases, and I kind of got a uh, double off him or something. And, oh, nice. And he even said nice hit, so it was all right. So there you go. Kevin Carius from Global Television is in studio as he is once a week on Inside Sports. We'll keep rolling with Kevin. We'll touch on uh, the Labor Day Classic and the Eskimos preparing for the rematch. Morley Scott's going to bounce in as well because he has the Eskimo show from 8 to 9. Thanks a lot for listening. We are back after the news. Listening to 6:30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Kevin Pillar, big double for the Blue Jays. They go up 4-3 in the top of the eighth against the New York Yankees. That's been a good back and forth game tonight. Thanks for tuning in. It's Inside Sports on 6:30 Chad. Uh, other games to update: the Orioles taking it to the Rays tonight, 8-2. They come into the game. Uh, two games behind the Blue Jays. Boston will play a little bit later on the Red Sox visiting the San Diego Padres. The Eskimos will be back at practice tomorrow. Yesterday, 45-24 in favor of Calgary in the uh, Labor Day game. They got a lead. Edmonton uh, kind of uh, flirted with a with a comeback. I don't know if they were ever really back in it, and the Stamps pulled away. They'll go at it again Saturday, 3.30 pregame show here on Chet. 5 o'clock for the kickoff. Kevin, uh, and I've even talked to people in, in Calgary about this, Calgary broadcasters, and a lot of us thought, well, you know, the Stamps will probably drop off. You can't go 14-4 and four again. Coaching change. You know, Rogers goes to the NFL. I, I, I still have a lot of respect for Hamilton, for Austin. Kalaros is back. They looked very good yesterday. But 
I, I don't know who touches Calgary. I mean, I know there's half the season left, but, man, they look good. Not at this stage. And um, I kind of have to go in a little blind here because I haven't had a chance to watch the game. Because you were recovering. But yeah. yeah. So, but uh, just by, you know, reading a few things here and there and seeing a couple of highlights, uh, without question, you know, class of the league and then a massive drop-off. And... Um, it's almost that stage of the season when you look at the, the records of all the teams and you look at the Eskimos' record right now and they're on the outside looking in in the West, but they would win the crossover right mm-hmm. now if it were to happen. And at this point, of the, if you look at the big picture, it's almost a better thing to do that than having to potentially face Calgary down the road. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that's, that's, a good, that's a good point. Um, I mean, I, I just, and I was talking about it a lot yesterday because uh, I did, did a show last night, and, uh, you know, a few people called in. I can't remember if it was somebody on, on the line or somebody who just talked to me off air and, and said, Reed, are you telling, are you, are you, you're making it sound like the Eskimos don't have a chance on Saturday. And I said, I said no, it's, it's just that for, for, for given what I saw yesterday at this point in the season, for the Eskimos to beat Calgary, they got to do almost everything right, and Calgary's got to have uh, a bit of a drop off. And I mean, and then there were little opportunities for the Eskimos yesterday. They're down twenty-one seventeen to start the third quarter. They forced two two and outs by the Stampeders defense. Mm-hmm. Don't get any points. I mean, even if you kick in a field goal, get it down to four. You got Calgary thinking, "Oh man, here they come. These are these guys that beat us last year." But but it, the Eskimo. I mean, the the good thing is, like we were saying at this time last year. The Eskimos know what the standard is, so either you got to play better or or slowly find better players or, or something. But the stamps are the standard. We haven't had uh, them looking at a measuring stick yet until Labor Day Monday, have we? Really, because if you look at the beginning of the year, it was uh, you know you had Ottawa, right? And then you went, okay, this is the Grey Cup rematch, mm-hmm. and so you went, okay, this is where we are. But it's so early in the year, and as we've been saying for weeks, the real season starts on Labor Day. Uh, and that's where the midpoint of the season is. And again, Calgary is far and away the best team in the league. And then it's, you could pick probably one of three or four teams, but it's not even close. Uh, the gap is too far right now. So it's up to the other teams to make it up. And maybe Calgary will have a bit of a drop-off, but I think they'll stay where they are right now, uh, the Stampeders. But it's up to the other teams to, to push forward and close that gap. And despite there being a coaching change in Calgary, John Huffnagel's still there as the general manager. Dave Dickinson, and and, and just contrast this to, to Jason Moss, who's, you know, offensive coordinator for one year, quarterbacks coach briefly before that. Dave Dickinson was in Calgary seven years, and then he gets and, to be the head coach. And it shows you how close to being a head coach he has been. Yeah. You know, like he could have stepped in a couple of years ago. Or gone somewhere else. Or went somewhere else and been just fine. And that shows you how brilliant of a mind and how well adverse he is to running a team and being the head man. And he learned from one of the best uh, in, in Huffnagel. So, uh, you know, he's he, he obviously one of the bright lights down the road in the future could be coaching uh, in this league as a head coach for a long, long time. Yeah, and it just, it just proves the value of continuity. I mean, if you have the right people, obviously. But, I mean... We were talking before. How many quarterbacks has Winnipeg had? Well, they can't. They can't find the right guy. Even between Ray and and Riley, and it wasn't that long in Edmonton. But it was like, who's it? Who's it going to be? You know, Giles, Joseph, Nichols, uh, all these guys. Uh, Zabransky. People <laughs> wanted for a while, right? So yeah. So it just and so and part of I said this earlier when I was talking to Jalen and Andrew. 
it, I don't know if it's so much that I'm being critical of the Eskimos because I think this year, you know, they're average. They're five and five. They've had some changes. They got some guys learning. It's more just, you know, it's it's more a, a compliment I think to where the Stampeders are more than a criticism of the Eskimos saying that that that's how large the gap is right now. And it's you said it's the familiarity, right? So Dickinson is in a system already. He knows. Oh, probably 85% of the players, if that's maybe about right. I don't even know what the turnover roster changes from last year. You mentioned Rogers is one main key, and everyone thought that he would be a tough, tough uh, component to replace. But guys like Mark Ray McDaniel step up, and other players, you know, have been really, really good for that football team. So uh, I think that familiarity word is a big, big thing when it comes to Dickinson's success immediately. Yeah. And uh, the good coaches always always seem to uh, have a good quarterback. Yeah. Wally Bottles never really never had a bad quarterback. Well, <laughs> right? and, like, yeah. Huffnagel, like they they know they got to get that guy. That's where it all starts, right? Yeah. And they got the number one guy in the league again. Yeah. You know. And no and, and, and again, good for Hervey for getting Riley out of out of BC because he's he realized I can't of all the positions I got to deal with. You want the best that you want the best mm-hmm. you can get at each one. But he he realized I can't I can't fool around. I I got to get a guy or at least at that time create competition between Riley and Nichols. I think it was Riley's job to right, lose as soon yeah. as they acquired him. Yeah. But but uh, but and that's it. That's the. I mean, look at let's look at the quarterbacks Buono's brought into the league or been associated with. Well, tons. Well, Garcia Dickinson. Dickinson I mean, Lule. Lule. Even this Jennings guy yeah. has has some potential. And Riley. I mean, Riley. he signed Riley. You would have loved the story at halftime. Brian Williams did how last preseason game with BC. You know, Buono just kind of threw Riley in, whatever. Yeah. Riley eight for eight with a touchdown or something like that, and he was just like, "Well, I guess you got to keep me now." And Buono was like, "Well, I guess I, mm-hmm. guess I, had to, guess I had to keep him now." Yeah. Um, it's 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 going to be fun. And, and and yes, yesterday was like I probably was to all the people who listen. I probably was sounding a little downtrodden mm-hmm. about the green and gold. I mean, it was it, it was tough. But look, I, I don't think Calgary's unbeatable. Uh, I, again, just Saturday. The Eskimos got to make a play when it's there to mate. And I referenced Kevin, and when you go back and watch the game, this kind of gets lost in the shuffle. The Calgary Stampeders fumbled four times in the first half. Mm-hmm. The kick returner fumbled, oh, picked it up and ran it back for a touchdown on a punt. Messam fumbled twice, and uh, Bo Levi mis- mishandled a-, a bad snap, so it wasn't really. So there were times yeah. the ball's floating around there. So, uh, I mean, Ladler made the play, but other than that, if there's a play against Calgary, you have to make the and, play. Yeah, they're not invincible by any stretch of the imagination, but when you go into this Labor Day home-and-home, home, you always go, we have to have a split out of this. Sure. That's so, and that's still there. I mean, so if the Eskimos can come out with a good performance, and I'm sure they will, I I, I bet they'll play twice as, uh, w- you know, well as they played in Calgary. So looking forward to see the what how they rise to the challenge. Uh, Blue and white says Calgary will finish with the best record, but this is the CFL. Any team can get hot at the right time, like the playoffs. Teams with great records have been knocked off in previous years, including the Eskimos. Sure, sixteen and two, the Eskimos mm-hmm. were uh, yeah. in 1989. The Eskimos yeah. were sixteen and two. Did not make the, the great cup. Lost to the Riders. Riders won it all. Uh, the 2005 Eskimos team, even though they were 11 and seven, were third in the West and were kind of had a staggering, uh, mm-hmm. not staggering, kind of a. What's the word? Like a oh, they starting stuff, yeah. faltering, faltering regular yeah. season. They got killed in Calgary in the last regular season yeah. game, then went and won the next game on the Moss comeback. So, no, you're you're right, uh, blue and white, but all we have to talk about right now is the first 10 weeks, and uh, you'd still have to favor Calgary. Like I said, I still think... Uh, I still think Hamilton's dangerous, and, and they proved it yesterday. And the other thing, too, is after 
Saturday's game. What do we got for home games left for the Eskimos? There's a stretch of 43 days yeah. where they have no home games, which is insane. Weird schedule, and a lot of teams got weird schedules. Yeah. BC had a long stretch away from home. Winnipeg had a three-game stretch away from home. So hopefully they work on that next year. Uh, Sean says, uh, hey, Reed, uh, Kevin Curious is dead on about Joe and especially Vin and the stinking Dodgers. <laughs> <laughs> is uh, Vin in the hall? He better be. I think Scully's already in the hall he of Fame. He probably is already, yeah. That's one to check out for sure. But And Sean also asking, can Kevin uh, tell us about the world's longest baseball game? Was it fastball, baseball, or slow pitch? Baseball. It was so, actual yeah. baseball. Just, just like you were starting a baseball game, uh, playing at Telus Field or the ball, Edmonton ball park right now and starting with uh, a full roster on each side full roster on the other side and just make sure you got nine guys on the field all the time and you play for 72 hours so figure out how the <laughs> lineup wants if you want to have nine guys and two spares or a couple extra spares or whoever needs to fill in and uh, just all you got to make sure is the roster's uh, non uh, you can't take guys from the other team you can't have oh we need a couple guys can you come down and play no it doesn't work that way just just like a normal game would start and finish yeah that's what we were saying with Brent a couple weeks ago the only thing that was different from a regular if I want to use that word baseball game was they were a little lenient with the substitutions right you could go in and out yeah you could go in and out yeah exactly it's not like once you were taken out of the game (laughs) you're done (laughs) for the rest of the weekend Uh, the Eskimos note today they have signed defensive end Philip Hunt he's 30 years of age spent the last few seasons in the NFL when he played in the CFL Quite frankly, he was awesome. Uh, 18 sacks in 25 games for the Bombers in 9 and 10. So if he has any of that left, the Eskimos will need him. He was really good. You know, you can tell a player's... Uh, a good player in the CFL from say six, seven years ago when uh, working at Global going into our video archives. So if you punch in a name or right. whatever and then something comes up, well there was a lot of Philip Hunt uh, you know, playing in Winnipeg and stuff like that. And even stuff uh, we talked to our friends in Winnipeg, of course they're big, you know, do a lot of with the CFL with the Bombers and Global Winnipeg had tons of stuff from him playing with the Lions and the Eagles. So, oh, nice, you know, yeah. So he has made plays where they are worthy of highlights. How's that sound? Right. You know. Well, and, and and I mean, I, I don't. Does he play Saturday? I don't know. That's pretty. That's pretty quick. Um, but he's the first Esk- to the game, though. That's good. You're like a, a lot of these guys that come in from the states at this time aren't uh, very well versed to the Canadian game. It takes them a while. Good point. He he, he can hit the ground running here. Yeah, and they got they got to get more pressure. Uh, mm-hmm. I I mean uh, they they haven't had a lot of sacks and they haven't been forcing guys. They've had time to look around right. and, and it's hard to cover for six seven seconds. Morley Scott is going to slide in Inside Sports presented by Action Furnace, home of the fixed right or it's free guarantee. You can visit actionfurnace.ca. Seven forty five. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. Thank you, mysterious announcer man. It sure is Inside Sports on 630 Chad. It is 748. Blue Jays leading 4-3 over the Yankees, bottom of the eighth. I'm in studio with Kevin Carius from Global Television and now joining us. The headliner. I am among greatness. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> Morley Scott, because the Eskimo show is from 8 to 9. Usually it's on Monday, but they uh, played yesterday, so I did Inside Sports. Morley has the Eskimo show from uh, 8 to 9. Good to have you back from uh, Cowtown. Buddy. Thanks, uh, and uh, hopefully this conversation will go better than the one we had 24 hours ago. 
Yeah, you're so you're so focused. I feel I'm bad like, about where that. Where were you? Like I was just tunnel? past. I was just past Lacombe, pulled over. So if you were driving home from the game yesterday and you saw a, a little about a '78 <laughs> Pinto with a big Ched sign on the side of it, I was pulled over in the Ched vehicle, and uh, I was trying to talk to you for a while. Then it, I cut out. So you put me on hold. Kellen talked to me, and I, I kind of just pulled up about 200 yards. Stopped, talked for a while. Then that cut out. So you put me back on hold. I pulled up another 200 yards and. And then you just bailed on me. Rightfully it, so. You just got rid of me. That's because of the Pinto, all the, uh, the the waves couldn't get through that steel in that yeah, car. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's why Kevin comes in. That and it takes two minutes to get here. Yeah. That's true, too. I was, a little, I, was, I was on my way, but I just couldn't make it in time. Right? Kevin, have, you've gone to cover the Labor Day Classic, oh, haven't you? Oh, for sure, yeah. 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 I mean, obviously you didn't yeah. this year, but... Yeah, no, it's it's a good atmosphere. It was a good one yesterday. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Really good fans. atmosphere until the second quarter. but yeah. <laughs> Or at least that's I enjoyed it until the second quarter. But, yeah, uh, yeah, it's, uh, that game, for some reason... Reason, and it started about three or four years ago when they lost, uh, probably probably when they lost the first of this five in a row, or maybe the second one. I remember Darius Bowman just saying uh, afterwards, like, we just got so geeked up. We were just so excited to play, and they they basically spent themselves in the warm-up, and they had nothing left, and it was a slow start. And I don't, that's, I don't believe that's what, I, that's what happened yesterday, but it just seems that the MO for the Eskimos in that game is a slow start, and they mm-hmm. got to figure out a way to do it. I don't know. <laughs> Well, it's it's funny you mention that about being geeked up. I don't know if that's usually when people say I'm geeked up, it's yeah. it's not a compliment. <laughs> it's nothing to do with Star Wars. Read. This is a different kind of geeked up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, again, Kevin and I were talking about how good the Stampeders have been. The best teams uh, just have that calmness, right? Like yeah. we we got this. We know what we have to do. They just roll. Along. We know bad things will happen, but we're not going to get rattled. And you know we're going to come back, and and I, I, Calgary, I, I mean, look, the Stampeders, some teams might have gone into into the half panicking. Oh my God, we were up twenty one nothing, and now it's twenty one seventeen. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Calgary's, well, nah. you know, they were fine. We can play better. Let's go out and do it. It's amazing. They had the 21-point lead. Eskimos chip away. They get it to win a touchdown at halftime, and then all of a sudden it's a 21-point lead again, right? Well, that's the difference. Like, go back to the Saskatchewan game. What was it, 22 nothing? Yeah, something, something like, like that. that right? Yeah. So the, the Eskimos were up 22 or 21 yep. nothing. Saskatchewan came back, made a game of it look interesting. Um, but then the difference was in that game, you didn't, like, sure, the Eskimos won, but did they really take control of the game again? Like the way Calgary did against Edmonton. Yeah, no, they did not do that. They no. did not do that. You're right. I, I liken that game. You're talking about the last. Discussion. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of liken that to like a hockey game where a team's up three nothing going into the third, yeah. and the other Lay team scores a couple goals early in the third, but then you end up scoring two more and win it five two, and it doesn't right. look as bad. But yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. It's weird. It's weird. Uh, there's been so many big momentum swings in Eskimo games this year. Mm-hmm. Like the Hamilton game. This is the both Saskatchewan games. Yeah. Uh, the game yesterday too. Same deal. It's it's weird. It's just back and forth, up and down. It's it's. Uh, it's it's hard to keep up with it. Uh, this text says, read, negative, negative, negative. The Eskimos are the worst and the Stampeders are unbeatable. I'm going to turn off the radio and go jump off the roof. No, don't do Well, that. I hope your roof isn't very high. Man, first of all, so does he? Did he like? Was he doing some job over here? He had his transistor radio on there, and he was doing some <laughs> roofing or what? Yeah, he was, oh. he was already on the roof. <laughs> he likes to go to a, as high a point as possible to listen to Inside Sports. Look, I don't, I don't think uh, I'm being negative. I think I'm being, I, I never said the Eskimos are the worst. No, I said there's a gap between the Eskimos and the Stampeders. There's a gap between the Stampeders and the yeah. rest and the rest of the league, of the league right now. Yeah, for sure, they're far and away, like far and away. When uh, when do you think Morley and I mentioned it to Reed? When do you think? 
And I mean, the Eskimos will never talk about it, of course, because that's how it is. But when will it be starting to be addressed that it's better to go through the east than the west? As far as oh, that? never publicly. As far, yeah, never I public. know that, but you I mean, know, uh, it hasn't been really discussed even in the media or even yeah. you know on talk shows or anything like yeah, that. Right that now. was you know that was the same thought I think a couple of years ago when they did go through the east, they ended up losing in Toronto. Mm-hmm. It was 2012. I mean, you had to play Toronto, and if you won that, you were going to the Big O to play Montreal. That's a lot cozier than going to Regina and Calgary to play games, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, yeah, uh, it's something that you can think about for sure, and it's almost getting to the point, I mean, Winnipeg's what, 6-4 and four now, right? Yep. Edmonton's 5-5. Five and five. And they got Saskatchewan again? I mean, yeah, the, it's getting to a point, you know, you, you think Winnipeg beats Saskatchewan, Eskimos are going to have to play really well to beat Calgary. If it doesn't go their way, they're two games back of, of Winnipeg. Of Winnipeg, level. never mind BC. Yeah, no. never mind BC. So, you know, if you've thrown out the home playoff game then. Now you got to start concentrating on just getting into the playoffs. Yeah. And maybe the Eastern w- is the way to go. Nobody wants to do that. No, and nobody's... And, you, and feel, nobody, you feel dirty when you go to the... when you get the crossover. It just doesn't feel right. And know, nobody's ever... Nobody's ever... No crossover team, and it's always been a West team, has ever actually won the division. No. They've made the final. They won, yeah. I mean, the Eskimos, Eskimos did and, B- and yeah. BC did, but then the, now, the first place Eastern team is still could, pretty good. Could you imagine if uh, Jeffrey Orridge would go bananas if this happened and for you know they're going to have the great cup in toronto and then it's going to be two west teams this year <laughs> wow could you oh, imagine they'd hate, they'd hate wow that. well, that's, well see, that's just forget jeff that's just bad for the well, league yeah, but see I, i'm actually yeah. one of those guys that thinks they should get rid of the divisions and just I, i'm all for six. that too i mean yeah. you don't the eskimos play calgary the same amount of times as they play hamilton like yeah. what's the division do they they play winnipeg and saskatchewan three times everybody yeah, else and it rotates twice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. you can still do that uh, you know, you can still play your closest rival or your biggest rival yeah. that third game. It's always going to be unbalanced. Yeah, throw it out. I, I, I'm all for throwing I, it out. I don't think it I, – I think – some people argue. I, I think we've moved past where it has to be an east-west great yeah. cup. I mean, oh, all yeah. the games are on TV, so you see all the teams. Yeah, this is air a, travel is. Having said that, that's what they wanted to again to the unite the country for yeah. that game, right? That's yeah, what they I want. know, but it, that's it's not working. <laughs> uh, that, I, I just I just think get the best teams in there, no matter who it is. Get the best teams in the playoffs, and how do you create great rivalries? You don't create them during the regular season. It's playoff matchups, right? right? So then if, if if Toronto starts to play uh, Calgary a couple years in the playoffs or BC a couple years in the playoffs, then it's another rivalry that's born. And then all yep. those Toronto-BC games mean something all of a sudden again. Uh, Jamie says, did you guys notice how bad the field position for almost all the Eskimos drives were? Oh, yes, we did. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I, mean, I noticed it didn't I score mean, enough, too. Yeah, I noticed. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, but I mean, that, and that's the thing. The Eskimos, uh, they, what they only had, Dave was telling us, they only had one play longer than 15 yards. Yeah. Calgary had, was it, it was a lot, was it like, 12? Yeah, 10 or 12 or something. So, I, I, mean, I mean, the Eskimos... It, the, their offense has become a, l- a little bit feast or famine. When they, I did. When well, they I move did it, the they number. move it. I, I was telling you these numbers just on, on Bowman and, and Walker. And the first three games of the season, they averaged 14 and a half catches. This is combined, the two yeah. of them. 14 and a half catches, 262 yards. Last three games, they've averaged between the two of them Eight and a half catches for 123 yards. That's four catches each a game. Well, that just tells you that all the defenses are keying on them, right? Yeah. Well, I put that question to both Jason Moss and uh, Mike Riley today, and we'll hear it during the Eskimo right. show tonight. And they say it's just not working out. It's, they don't think it's anything the defense hmm. is doing. Uh, they just think they're not getting the ball to them in the right – especially the coach said, we're just not getting the ball to them in the right situation, so we've got to do that. Uh, the Yankees are now up 7-4, by the way. Oh. What happened? They have uh, they, they got uh, a triple, a sacrifice fly, and now a home run. <laughs> Not sure who hit it. I just looked up and saw the Yankees being very happy, and the score changing to 7-4. to 
So that's uh, look good for the Blue Jays. Now it doesn't uh, doesn't look so good. Morley, who's coming up on the show tonight, buddy? Well, as I mentioned, we got Jason Moss. Uh, we'll talk to him off the top. Uh, Mike Riley just after eight thirty. Blake Dermott's going to join us, and I'm going to go back and play an interview we had with Len Rhodes on the pregame show yesterday. Uh, touched on some very interesting topics. He had some some really interesting things to say about attendance in the CFL, attendance in Edmonton. Uh, once again, he's still beating the drum for the earlier start to the regular season, which I'm happy he hasn't uh, uh, forgotten about that. And uh, what else? we talk about oh, the flags the flag situation and there was a meeting uh, uh presidents and uh, and and the like were meeting in toronto on the weekend and uh he talked about some of the conversations he's had with john hoffnagel about things so that's all coming up quick question to you and we talked about earlier um with Philip Hunt signing today, does is there a chance he could get in this weekend? You think he's on the roster right now, but they got to put him there technically, I believe now, and then move him. I I, I would guess he'd be on the one game injured list. Yeah, just to, so they it's one practice, and he hasn't played a lot right. recently. Yeah, twenty four games in the last five years yeah. in the NFL, right? So that's mm-hmm. not a lot. So hopefully there's still some miles on the on the odometer to go. He's thirty years old, so uh, we'll see. But man, he was. Do you remember him? Yeah, well, I was dominant just, player. I was just telling Reed, dominant like, player. When we look for guys on video, like for archive stuff at yeah. Global. You punch the guy's name in, most times nothing happens. Yeah. Well, a lot of highlights came up, so he was, and for a defensive end, Yeah. Uh, he was highlight worthy is what I'm trying to say. 18 so it's, uh, sacks in 25 yeah. games. Yeah. Those are pretty good numbers. Yeah. Those are pretty good numbers. Morley has the Eskimo Show next. Kevin's going back to Global. You can watch him tonight. Kevin, thanks for coming by yeah, again. Thanks for having me. We'll see you next week. This has been Inside Sports on 630 Chad. The producer of the show is Dave Campbell. The studio producer this evening, Matthew Panashik. Tomorrow, my guests will include Edmonton City Councillor Brian Anderson as we get you ready for the big opening of Rogers Place. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.